Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Uh, Go with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We are finishing chapter 2 today. Uh, Last Sunday, Pastor Brian walked through the section about uh, Timothy, the the honorable associate. We're in in chapter 2, and we are finishing this section, and uh, we're looking at the life of Epaphroditus, this, uh, this the younger man, uh, in in uh, in ministry with Paul, and the title of the message this morning is a most valuable partner, most valuable partner. That's MVP, but a little spin on it because most times when you think of MVP, that's most valuable player. And um, so I went online and I, I did some searching. What what exactly categorizes what what makes a, a person a, a most valuable player? And it depends on the sport that, you're, uh, that they're playing. And there's different categories of, well, uh, certain scores or certain point values or uh, a group of people get together and vote about it in some secret room and then they tell you at the big game. Um, that's, that shows you how much I know about how sports works. <laughs> I chose, though, to say most valuable partner because when you think about a player, usually that's uh, focused on an individual and usually just their strengths. But this morning, what we're going to see in the life of Epaphroditus, and he's in a relationship, he's in a a community, there's Paul, there's Epaphroditus, and then there's the church at Philippi, there's a partnership that is involved here. Not just focusing on an individual or just their strengths, but really their weaknesses too. Understand that every single person has leadership and influence around them. It's like a bubble. And immediately all the introverted people in the room just said, I have a bubble, yes, and don't get in my bubble. This is my bubble. But realize everyone has influence. Everyone has leadership. And that leadership is, influences the people that are around you. We have a sphere of influence that we share around with others. People and relationships that come into connection with us, we have influence. That's the people closest to us, our families, our homes, co-workers, church, and beyond, God decides uh, to give us those relationships, this leadership. We, we have influence. The question is, this morning, how are we using that influence and that leadership? For the good of others and for the glory of God, or in a selfish way, or even a, we don't think about our leadership? The aim of the message this morning is to to illustrate and to show that churches must develop gospel-centered leaders. Gospel-centered leaders. Uh, All throughout this letter uh, to the Philippians, we've seen this common theme of joy, unbreakable joy that every believer has in Christ through the gospel. So today we're just going to dive into this, this next section, verses 25 through 30. The people that are involved is Paul. He's, He's older. He's in prison. There's Epaphroditus, this younger man, and he is all, he's connected to this church at Philippi, and all three of them are connected together. So if you are there with me in Philippians 2, uh, follow along with me in our text. Philippians 2, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, 
my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, help us to obey your word this morning and understand it through, through my words and through our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as I, as I said a moment ago, the aim of the message this morning and, and of this text is to, to demonstrate that churches must develop gospel-centered leaders. And you see it in your outline, gospel-centered leaders. Number one, gospel-centered leaders are devoted to the Lord. Gospel-centered leaders are devoted to the Lord. We see this in verses 25 and 26. I want you to, to take a no, uh, notice the, these, these two words that Paul uses, my and your. Epaphroditus was, uh, he's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. He's your messenger, your minister to my need. And we're just going gonna to go through each of these. To be devoted to the Lord first involves, letter A, you see that, the heart. To be devoted to the Lord first involves the heart. Paul, he, he's been making his travel plans, and uh, he, he finds that it is necessary based on a, a, a spiritual need for the, the need of the church. Epaphroditus, he has a need, and, and Paul, he has a need. Based on this need, he believes it's best. Epaphroditus, I want you to go. He is sent back to the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus came from the church. He was a member there. He served there, and he went on a journey to be with Paul, and now Paul is sending him back. I want you to just notice this name, Epaphroditus. It's significant. His name, his, uh, his name means favored by Aphrodite or Venus. That's not very, uh, it's not very spiritual. It's not a very godly name. Uh, Aphrodite, uh, it, it was, that name was common in the Greek-speaking world. Uh, his name could also mean belonging to Aphrodite or Venus. And Aphrodite, she was the Greek goddess of love and beauty. The Roman version was Venus, and she had a temple devoted to her in Corinth that held 1,000 temple prostitutes. Epaphroditus was not always devoted to the Lord. We have to understand this. Before, if we're going to have gospel-centered leaders, we have to understand our, our need, our spiritual need, the need of our heart to be changed. Epaphroditus was not always devoted to the Lord. Before he belonged to Christ, he belonged to another Aphrodite, he, he, before he worshipped Christ, he was devoted to her, idolatrous worship. And I'm thankful for this text today. Uh, it was convicting and encouraging to me because I have seen the, the struggle and challenge of lust and immorality in my heart. And here is a man changed by the gospel. And that's how any one of us changes is through the gospel. That's the only way we will have heart change 
And this was encouraging to me to see that, yes, God does change hearts. He's changed mine. He's changed Epaphroditus, and he can change yours today. He has, and we praise him, or he will today. So we, we have to understand this heart, heart change, to be devoted to the Lord from the heart, is to say that Jesus is Lord. That's conversion. It's divine rescue. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So either you are in the kingdom of Christ or you're in the kingdom of darkness. How do you get from one to the other? God has to do it. And this is how we have a heart that is devoted to the Lord. I recognize the only reason why I am a worshiper of Jesus today is because Jesus has changed my heart. I've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness because Jesus gave me a great redemption, the forgiveness of my sins. So we can praise him for that. This is where gospel center leaders get formed. We have a heart that is devoted to the Lord. There's, this is what we mean by heart change. It's new birth through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed, and no one can ever say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So for those, if, if you have come to faith in Christ today, Understand the reason that that happened ultimately is because God changed your heart through the Holy Spirit. And he uses his word, he uses the gospel, and that truth in our hearts changes us. We need that God has to do the work in us. And, and Paul makes a similar point in Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Therefore, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Have you found this to be true in your life? Whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. We can take God at his word in this. So why I, the reason why I start with the heart is this is, this is how life change happens. It's an inside-out change. The heart changes, and then that changes our thinking. Our desires change, and that's what changes our actions. To only focus on the actions or the external without ever getting to the heart is dangerous, and it's, it is damning. It doesn't actually save us. To be a leader that is centered on the gospel is to understand, first, my heart has been changed, and that's, what, that's the genuine need that all people have, is heart, that the, the need for the heart to be changed first. Believers are the only ones who can genuinely say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord, personal, my master, my king, my ruler. Notice that Paul calls Epaphroditus, uh, first of all, he calls him brother. And this is a word that means a member of a, the Christian community, loving fellowship under Jesus Christ. The only reason why Paul would use that kind of a term for Epaphroditus is if he has indeed been converted. He indeed belongs to the family of God. Paul preached the gospel in Philippi. And remember, uh, this is from Acts 16. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to understand the message that was preached by Paul. The church was founded there. The Philippian jailer, he's converted. And this church is planted. 
And Epaphroditus was likely among those early on to be converted or through the, through the evangelism ministry of the church. He was brought in and converted there. He was a local member. He served. He loved the Lord. Realize that heart change requires a worship change. And we worship our way into sin. I found this to be true. We worship our way into sin and we worship our way out of sin. The gospel helps us to change our worship. So we understand that ultimately I am prone to worship sin and self until God changes me. That I am a sinner and he is holy and yet Jesus paid the price for me. That's, that's what fuels our worship. His understanding how good, how good and holy God is, how sinful I am, and how merciful Jesus is. And it requires repentance and faith. As the heart is changed toward devotion to Christ, Christ, this, uh, this grace flows outward from the inside out. This leads us to letter B, the head. A gospel-centered leader not only has a, a heart that is devoted to the Lord, but a head, a thinking that is devoted to the Lord. To the degree that we reverence, worship, and treasure Christ in our heart, that will shape the way we think about Christ. And that affects our priorities and our decisions. You see, uh, Paul refers to Epaphroditus as a fellow worker, his fellow worker. This term is used often to describe ministers of the gospel. This is a high commendation uh, to, that Paul would give to Epaphroditus. It, it, devo it, it uh, means that a devotion devoted to uh, Christ some other ways that this, this word is used, um, a fellow worker in Christ, a fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. The Apostle John says in 3 John, a, a fellow worker for the truth. So for Paul, for Paul to use this term, a fellow worker, is, yeah, he, there was most certainly work to be done while Paul was in prison in Rome. But it also is, is showing us that Epaphroditus has a, a thinking that is right, a, a gospel-centered way of thinking. That affects the way that we, um, so when, that our perspective then is filtered through Scripture and through Christ. We look for opportunities to serve with the mind of Christ. Paul has been through this already, all throughout chapter 2, and Timothy and Epaphroditus are just examples that Paul has given. Uh, to consider one another's before yourself. You know, uh, we saw that early on in chapter 2. And here's Epaphroditus, willing to serve, willing to go. Uh, we saw early, uh, earlier on in chapter 2, Christ, we should have the mind of Christ to serve and to lay our lives down. Here's Epaphroditus, just another example of this, that his thinking is informed by Scripture, by the Word of God. Another way that Paul refers to Epaphroditus is as a fellow soldier. This refers to Christian teachers, again, Paul's companions in the labors and dangers of Christian ministry, Christian warfare. So I got to thinking, what is the significance of this phrase? Why, why a soldier? That's, that's an intense word. But realize that our thinking must be led and shaped by the word of God. We have a book that God's given to us. We must stand on the truth of God's word even when people or culture or anyone else says otherwise. And that means to be willing to suffer for the truth. And that's why I believe Paul uses this term, because understanding that gospel-centered leaders have to be prepared to suffer, to count the costs, 
to take up our cross and follow Jesus, that it's, uh, it's going to cost us. But Jesus is worthy, and Jesus is worth it, and we will never be put to shame. So we, we arm ourselves with this kind of thinking that, again, Paul says, he's a fellow soldier. He's willing to put the blood, sweat, and tears in. He's faithful. He's, an, he's a trustworthy guy. I consider him a partner. And, and this, um, that's why Paul is, is using this, this kind of language. And this is similar to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2. Paul says this to, to Timothy, Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So that's what Paul is simply highlighting of Epaphroditus. Here is a man who is set to say, I want to aim, my aim is to please Jesus Christ. And that's, that's, what, that's what a gospel-centered leader aims to do. Jesus has saved me. I want to please him. He's my master. This, this kind of thinking has to permeate our, our minds, and this is how we grow in the, into a gospel-centered leadership way. So as our heart changes and as our head changes, we see letters C, our hands. Or in parentheses, you could put feet, because uh, Epaphras, he had to go. He had to travel. But ultimately, the, the point is that this affects our actions. Letter C, when the gospel-centered leader loves Christ and thinks about Christ, it is fitting that their hands and feet match. So understand that Epaphroditus, he was connected to this local church in Philippi. Being known in a local church is essential for discipleship. There's no, no island Christianity. You have to be tethered, connected. We need our community. And don't, don't we sense that God is working this in us as a church? Understand the grace of we enjoy one another. We need one another. We've got to be tethered. And Epaphroditus was this kind of guy. He's committed to his local church. Uh, this is where we are known. This is where we have accountability. This is where the gospel, this kind of environment is where the gospel thrives. You will not get very far in your Christian walk without the connection of the local church. That's what, that's what Paul says. Uh, that, so, so understand that Paul was in Rome. He was in prison. And Philippi, 800 miles away, Epaphroditus was willing to go and to make that journey and be engaged into the work of ministry there. Paul, he can't do a whole lot of ministry work while he's in prison. He, he was, uh, when he was in house arrest, he, he uh, provided for his own. He had people come to his home. But remember, we saw earlier on in Philippians, there were those who were... Uh, backbiting and speaking against Paul, and they were seeking their own way. So there could be some of that. There could be some of that going on here. That is, Epaphroditus is kind of standing in the gap. Paul's in prison. There's these others that are speaking wrongly of Paul and of the ministry. So Epaphroditus is willing to step in. He's a he he's he's a fellow worker. He's a and now so just notice this again in verse 25. He's uh, the messenger and minister sent by the Philippian church. The word messenger means sent one. So here's how this works. Paul has a need, a financial need, because he's, he's living on his own expense. There's a ministry need. So that comes before the congregation. Hey, Paul has a need. We're partners with him. We're committed. We love Paul. Who's going to go help him? Epaphroditus says, I'll go. Sounds like a lot like Isaiah. There's a need. I'll go meet the need. Send me. And so he is sent. That's what that word means. He's sent one. And then he's a minister. 
This word minister is very interesting. It means uh, special service or spiritual service. And it's often used in connection with the, the priesthood, the ministry of the priesthood. Uh, if you, if you uh, flip over in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, this is just a little bit of context as to why Epaphroditus was sent. Philippians 4, look at verse 18. Uh, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So remember when Paul said earlier on in chapter 2, I'm willing to serve as as a fragrant offering, a sacrificial offering of your faith. That's how Paul considered himself, the the sacrifice of ministry. And here he's also just making this, hey, I recognize, Philippians, the the gift that you gave, that was was offering as unto the Lord, and I thank you for it. And Epaphroditus was the one to, there's this need that you have, he's going to deliver that. That's why he is considered uh, this messenger, this minister, to help meet Paul's need. Does anyone struggle to ask for help? Uh, and just, just doesn't want to do it. I can do it myself. Sometimes uh, I find that I, I'll ask for help and then I'll critique the very help that was given. Like, I wouldn't do it that way. No, why did you, hang on, or uh, did you read the instructions? The instruction says, and uh, so realize Paul, he's willing to ask for help. And Epaphroditus was willing to go. It's okay to ask for help. Paul, being in prison, has, again, he has these ministry needs, included financial needs. This is why we give as a church. Realize, we give to further ministry. Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. It's Acts 28. Epaphroditus, he's willing to go. Go for the, for the work of the gospel, for the good of Paul, and for the glory of the Lord. That's a good reason to serve. To meet a need for the glory of God and be a blessing, blessing to the church. The Philippian church was a part of meeting that need, and it was considered, it was given and received as worship. That's a way to encourage serving. And that is totally, that, that kind of thing that requires the gospel. Because I have to realize I have been given an immeasurably great riches in Jesus Christ. So, number one, why wouldn't I give? And number two, I can give and receive, and it's, it's grace. It's a blessing. It's not a, okay, Paul did this for me, so we owe him, and I'll scratch your back, and let me get a, you, you gave to me, I'm going to give back to you. That's like transactional. And that doesn't encourage serving. That doesn't encourage giving. The gospel encourages giving and serving because we've been given and served by Jesus Christ. And just as a, a quick side note, uh, uh, I just, just noticed this. This same idea is how missions works. There, there's a need or an area to advance the gospel. Some are called to go meet the need. Others send to supply the need, help meet the need. All play a part in the Great Commission. We need goers and we need senders. Churches are senders. And Lord, let's raise up people to go. Let's go plant a church. Let's go reach the nations. It requires both. All rejoice in the work of the Lord. All pray to see people saved and added to the Lord's number. This is just this is an, an example of that. Another example, if you like church history, is William Carey and uh, Andrew Fuller. 
Uh, if you, you may, may remember this, or I'll fill you in. Uh, uh, William Carey was a missionary to India, and he was getting ready to go. And he has his partner in, uh, in ministry. His name was Andrew Fuller. And he says, okay, Andrew, I will go down to the pit if you will hold the rope. So William Carey, I'm willing to go to India to reach. Andrew, Hold the rope for me while I go down. Help support me. And Andrew, he, he started a, a Baptist missionary society there in, in England and raised funds, raised support for William Carey. There's goers and there's senders. Um, just, and this is just another example of this. Epaphrodite is sent, received by Paul, sent by the church. Uh, now, look at verse 26. Look again at verse 26. I'm going to read it. Epaphroditus, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus was strongly, strongly connected to the local church, his church. He loved the church. So this, this word longing, it means to desire earnestly, to yearn for. And this word distressed is, is overwhelmed almost to the point of sorrow. That's strong feelings. This is how Epaphroditus feels about the church the church that he belongs to, the church that he serves in, he's a member of. So understand that devotion to the Lord includes a love and desire for what Christ loves. And Jesus loves his church. It's his bride. So if we will be devoted to the Lord, if we will see gospel-centered leaders, that's never going to be divorced from the church. That's only going to happen within the church. That's Paul, Epaphroditus, uh, he's concerned for the church because, not even for his own illness, because he heard that they heard that he's sick and they were worried about him. And so his concern is, I love my church. They're worried about me. I want to give back. I want to be with them. I want them to know I'm okay. God's had mercy on me. And that, that actually leads us to our second point. Uh, gospel Center leaders are devoted to the Lord. And secondly, they are delivered by God. Delivered by God. See this in verse 27. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Understand that being delivered by God is all of God's mercy. God is a merciful God. Letter A, I want to highlight God's mercy in two ways. And it is, we see first, we have to understand first that to be delivered by God is to understand and have experienced God's mercy in salvation. God's mercy in salvation. We are dependent on God's mercy every moment. Every single moment. The difference between believers and non-believers is that Christians give God reverence and thanksgiving and honor for his abundant mercy. And non-believers don't realize it. Don't realize how merciful God is. What is mercy? There's two parts. The first part of mercy, re mercy requires a compassion felt for someone in need. If you're going to have mercy, you have to have a compassion, a pity, a, a concern for someone in need. And the second part of mercy is to supply, to have ample resources to supply and meet that need. I see you in your misery, and I have an active desire to remove those miseries. I have some examples. Uh, one personal and two biblical. Two biblical examples. First, uh, over the summer, 
this past summer, I was issued a speeding ticket. And um, that was the first time I had gotten a speeding ticket, and I was very scared. And um, I had no idea what was going on, and I get all the paperwork. <laughs> I was very distressed. And, um, and so I go, have to get all the thing. I call the court, and I take all that stuff. And I go to the court, and you go into the room, and you know, tr shut off your phone. I thought I was going to get thrown, off, thrown out because my phone was going to ring. And I went into the court, and you sign all the paperwork, and you sit in that room, and you wait. Wait, 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 wait for the ju judge to or whoever that person is, the attendant, to call your name. You go into this room. It is not like what it looks like in the movies. It's just a little room, and there's a couple chairs, and I sat down, and there's the honor, the honorable judge, and I said, good afternoon, your honor, and he gets right to the point. All right, what are you here for, and what do you want me to do about it? Uh, 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 well, your honor, um, I received a speeding ticket not too long ago, and I was speeding, but... Uh, I would ask you for grace and mercy to remove the points and uh, see, we, see if we could work this out. I said those words. Why did I say mercy and grace to the judge? Like Bible language just flows out of me in just nervousness. Okay, so I did, and he's looking, he talks, and the police officer was there, and he says, well, okay. And he says, all right, pay the fine, go have a good day. And I said, thank you very much, Your Honor, have a good afternoon. And I was out of there. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but, but here's the point. Here's the judge. I'm in need. The judge has maybe a concern, but he has the ability to do something about my need, and I asked him for mercy, and the judge showed me mercy. Do you remember in Jesus' healing ministry, all throughout the times he would go and he would travel, whether it was the, the blind beggar on the road or the paralytic, they would cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They would cry, the blind man or the, the one with leprosy, and realize what are they recognizing? I have a need. Jesus, you can meet my need. Have mercy on me. That's what salvation is, a recognition. I need God's mercy, and he is willing to show me mercy. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to illustrate this point one more way for all of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because this is where, if we're going to have gospel-centered leaders, let's be solid on the gospel. Ephesians 2, follow along with me, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it, then we're just going to highlight a few things. Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Why pick this text? Look at our need in verses 1 through 3. This is your need, my need, the nations, all peoples, dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Children of wrath, sons of disobedience. This is true for all of humanity. Sinful, through and through. And if that's where we were to remain, we would have an eternal hell to look forward to. And the same two words from our text, but God had mercy on him, is in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. Understand, God took compassion on us in our need, our sinful state that we as humanity all were in. God being rich, abundant in mercy because of his great love provides Christ sent and then would make us alive with him by grace through faith. If we're going to be gospel-centered leaders, this truth needs to resonate and just sing out in our hearts. Every day, I need the mercy of God, and he is merciful. If we've experienced, have you experienced God's mercy and salvation? You can today, because God is merciful today. And I, I highlight this because Paul says it in our text, but God, you can flip, flip back to Philippians 2. He was, nil, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. Our need is very great. We are spiritually, humanity is spiritually dead and sinners through and through. God enters into our mess because of the riches of his mercy. He sent Jesus, laid down his life that we might share in his life forever. The gospel-centered leader not only understands God's mercy and salvation, but have experienced it themselves. They've tasted and seen God as good. They've been delivered by God and to God personally. That's God's mercy and salvation. And then secondly, letter B, God's mercy in providence. God's mercy in providence. Um, God does not have supply chain issues when it comes to mercy. Okay? God does not have supply chain issues. Epaphroditus did indeed become dangerously sick while serving with Paul. Possibly this was on his travel to Rome he, he became ill. Epaphroditus did not become sick because God was short on mercy. Illness, all, any illness and healing all comes from God's good and sovereign hand. That's Romans 8.28. We believe it. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The blessings and the bad things that God is turning for good. He's sovereign in all of it. And so Paul is recognizing, he, he's taking the moment to praise and, and honor and recognize Epaphroditus wasn't healed because Paul did a, a miracle of healing. Epaphroditus was healed because God had mercy on him. Paul recognized this, he, he attributes this restoration of Epaphroditus to the mercy of God alone. Paul didn't heal him. The Lord sovereignly and graciously chose to do so at this time. Epaphroditus would return to Philippi. He, he would be the one to deliver this letter to them. Eventually, though, he would die. And Paul would remain in Rome and he would be executed. So realize it's not as though God is any less merciful in the sickness or the illness or, or death or loss. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
Even in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God provided, here's animal skins for you to be covered. God is merciful. There are some false teachers who say that if you give enough to their ministry, you'll be physically healed. Just have enough faith and write a check. And that's not true. Don't, don't get caught into that. Any healing happens as a result of God's decree, timing, and grace. And God answers all prayers for healing, either physically here and now on earth or in heaven in his glorious presence. So we can praise God for his mercy. And this is true for every act of providence that we go through. Every blessing and every challenge, we're held up and carried by God's mercy. So we thank him for his mercy. Paul entered into ministry because God showed him mercy. That's 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. Just, you know, maybe just, just jot these down. I have them on the screens, but um, you, we, you can go back and, and find these later. Paul, just to highlight some of God's mercy throughout the providence and the life of Paul, Paul entered into ministry because God showed him mercy. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. And Paul remained in ministry because of the mercy of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Paul taught that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. By the way, that's you and me. We are, Christ came to show God's truthfulness to his word and also that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Romans 15, 8 and 9. So understand God, that's God's mercy and providence. And the writer of Hebrews says that through Christ, we have access to the throne of heaven to receive mercy. That's Hebrews 4, 16. So gospel-centered leaders recognize their daily dependence on the mercy of God to be delivered. Delivered by God through his mercy. And this leads us to number three. Not only is the gospel-centered leader delivered by God and devoted to the Lord, but number three, they are driven to serve. And we see this in verses 28 through 30. Paul says, I'm more, I am the more eager to send Epaphroditus, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the first, just, just to highlight, there's a, there's a few ways that we can be driven to serve. What does this look like? Letter A, the first way is joyfully. Joyfully. This is uh, from verse 28. This is the command. Paul gives it two times to rejoice. Paul knew that Epaphroditus would better serve the Lord and his church back at Philippi. So he urged him to go quickly. That's what that word means. Uh, the more eager, speedy. Speedy, sent speedily. Paul is leveraging his reputation with the church to receive Epaphroditus in a right and welcoming way. Because understand, some would have been tempted to think that the reason why Epaphroditus is home is because he quit. He got sick, things got hard, so he left, left early, turned coat, abandoned his post. Or they might be tempted to think that, well, it got too hard, and therefore I'm not cut out for this ministry business, so I'm going home. Or they might have been tempted to think Epaphroditus didn't meet Paul's need. He was not an honorable minister. So Paul is setting the record straight right here, right now. Receive him joyfully. Receive him in an honorable way. So uh, just, just realize that Epaphroditus was very different from John Mark. 
or Demas? John Mark the quitter, Demas, he was in love with the things of this world. Now, Epaphroditus, he was honorable through and through in his ministry. And Paul wanted the church to know that. So his first instruction is to be joyful. Joyfulness encourages serving, but bitterness breaks down serving. When we serve Christ and rely on his strength, Christ gets the glory and we get the joy. Gospel-centered leaders, if we're going to be driven to serve, we're going to be driven to serve because we know the joy of the Lord and that encourages serving is when we know and enjoy the Lord and his church. So joyfully, letter B, moving to this a little bit quicker. First, just to highlight um, Epaphroditus, this command is given to be uh, honorable and humble. That's from verse 29. 28 and 29. You see, uh, Epaphroditus, there's this command, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Okay, so I, highlight, I break this up. Honorably, because there's the command. Honor such men. Honor those who are willing to serve. Honor those who are willing to serve joyfully. Honor those who are willing to, they put the work in, they love the Lord. To receive means to accept, welcome, and wait for. The church was to highlight this servant in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. Honor such men shows honor to those who serve well. And that's, this is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Uh, Let the elders who rule well become worthy of double honor. It's a, it's, so it, it's as though, consider this person, the way that they serve, treat them the way you would treat Jesus as if he was here. Show honor to him, to the, to the individual that serves well. But there's a catch. Uh, they are to honor Epaphroditus in the Lord. So this is immediately honoring and also humbling because uh, they're not honoring Epaphroditus. He's great. He's a hero. We love him. That's true. He, he served honorably. He almost died. But he did so not for the praise of men, not for the praise of others, but because he loves the Lord. And so that, that honoring is tethered to in the Lord in a Christ-exalting way, in a Christ-centered way, in a way that is gospel-centered. We, we rightly honor those who serve, but also we elevate and we, we worship one, and that's Jesus. So honorably and humbly, we are to serve. And uh, letter C, sacrificially and wholeheartedly. That's from verse 30. Think about what Paul has said up to this, this point in the chapter. He's, con- said, he's taught, consider one another's needs alongside your own. That's in chapter 2. Jesus came to serve and he laid his life down. Epaphroditus is simply another good example of this kind of unity in the church. Willing to put his needs, the needs of others before his own. Willing to lay down his life. Paul, he's already said in chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul says this in Acts 20, verse 24, to the Ephesian elders, Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here, Paul knows what it was to, to, to lay it all down, to be willing to suffer. And that's, what, that's how he highlights Epaphroditus. He nearly died for the work of Christ. If we are going to see the gospel reach people in our families, 
in our communities and the nations, which, by the way, I, I looked last night at the unreached people groups. I, 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 I like to highlight this from time to time. If we're going to see the Great Commission completed, all peoples coming under the obedience and worship of Jesus Christ, 7,425 people groups. With a, that's people with a unique language or culture or area. That accounts to roughly 3 billion people. They have not even heard of Jesus. They don't even have the Bible in their language to know who Jesus is. That there's a God in heaven who made them, who loves them, and they are accountable to. Three billion people. If we're going to see the, that number go down, it will require selflessness and sacrifice. So just let's consider, what are we willing to sacrifice for? What are we willing to lay our lives down for and will it last forever? That's the question. That, the, that's the question. This phrase here in, uh, in verse 30, he nearly died, is the same Greek phrase that is rooted in ver, uh, verse 8. When as Paul says of Christ, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul does, he, he does this to connect our sacrifice for Christ with the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. For all who would repent and trust in Christ and surrender to him as Lord of all, when we remember all that Christ endured, the death on the cross, we realize that our sacrifice, no matter how difficult or costly, is, is small in comparison. Or we could say it positively, we will never outgive God. So Paul, he, he highlights just this willingness to sacrifice and then wholeheartedly, uh, when, when Paul says to supply what was lacking, simply put that there's a, a need and a gift that the church wanted to give and Epaphroditus was willing to. I'll see that followed through. I'll see that to completion. So for you and I today as a church, we have a part in seeing the Great Commission filled and completed. And we get to be a part of that as a church. And we get to partner with missionary partners that are on the front lines of seeing the gospel proclaimed among people who've never heard. We get to serve and see that completed. I have a quote from C.T. Studd. He was a missionary. He worked with Hudson Taylor for a little while in China. Then he served as a missionary to India and Africa. He wrote a poem. And this, this just was one line from the poem. He says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's what Epaphroditus is just, a, he's an example of this. Willing to lay it all on the line for the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is true for every gospel-centered leader. And as a church, as we cultivate this kind of environment and see these kind of leaders built up, as we lead in this kind of a way in our different ministries, in our families, we see that, that that is the environment that God is glorified and the mission is completed. So to summarize, by God's grace, we will be a church that sees all people become gospel-centered leaders, leaders who are devoted to the Lord, delivered by God, and driven to serve. So my question, what is your next step? What is my next step to grow as a gospel-centered leader? Which area? Which way? Can we help you take that step? If you've not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. 
Is today the day that you need to be honest about a sin or a struggle or can we pray for you in that way? Come, talk to us. Today is the day and receive Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good and so glorious. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown us richly and freely in Jesus Christ. I pray you would help me and help each and every one of us today grow in a gospel-centered way, in a way that we see our whole life transformed and centered around Jesus and his work on the cross, put to death for sinners like me and for all who would trust in him alone. Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring glory and honor to your name today as we go from this place, and Lord, use us to reach the nations for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.